This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 141. Hey, you ready? You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. My name is Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here. So I people ask me all the time, Michael, what is it like to own and manage a thousand units across the Nighthawk equity portfolio? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Today, we're going to answer that. I have on the show Drew Niffen, who I interviewed back in uh, episode 27, but he's now essentially running Nighthawk Equity. So he's the president of Nighthawk. And we're going to talk all about asset management. What is it? What do you got to pay attention to? What are some of the uh, mistakes that we've made? And how do we overcome some of those? And a lot of this is still a work in progress as we try to scale the 10,000 units. So it's going to be kind of a behind the scenes look at how we manage our portfolio and some of the things we're struggling with and what you can learn for your own portfolio as well. Now, before we get into that, I'm really excited that in just a few weeks, we're having our Financial Freedom Summit. It's January 25th to 27th, and it's in Washington, D.C. Actually, it's in Northern Virginia. So if you are interested in that, go to financialfreedomsummit.com or go to the michaelblank.com forward slash summit. I think both lead to the same location, Financial Freedom Summit com will get you there. Really excited because you're going to experience what it's like to do a 69-unit apartment building. So within two days, you can experience what it's like to do a deal from beginning to end, working in small groups, excel, and do that in two years. Uh, two years, good grief, that would be a long time in that weekend. So really excited about that. Check it out, financialfreedomsummit.com, and uh, hope to see you there. All right, with no further ado, let's get into Nighthawk and our asset management. Hey, Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. Hey, it's been a while since you were on a show. Last time you were on a show, I have to look at the exact episode, but it was a long time ago, like two years ago. Yeah, episode 27. 27. Thank you so much. <laughs> and a lot of things have happened since then. I mean, when I interviewed you, you had just uh, quit your job and that was very exciting and uh, you haven't sat still and you know, you've come on board now. You're one of our earliest, earliest mentors and then works our deal desk. Uh, deal desk is a program where we partner with people. They find the deals. We raise the money for them. And essentially, uh, you are now running Nighthawk Equity. So lots of things have happened. And I wanted to bring you on today just because I want to talk about something we have never talked about before on the show, which is asset management. Mm -hmm. So let's start, first of all, talking about what the heck is asset management? Yeah, asset management is what you do once you've bought the property, which is you know, to oversee it and make sure that it does what you think it's going to do. Well, yeah, now I'm confused, uh, Drew. I thought you you buy all this stuff and then you go to sleep once you close on it and you just count the money. Yeah, it's uh, it's there's more to it than that, right? I mean, certainly if you don't do your work right in the due diligence and in the buying, no amount of asset management can make up for that. All right, let's talk. Let's talk about that. So that's yeah. that's good. Yeah. So this is now in the pre-buying phase. No amount. You can't fix something if it's already pretty much unfixable to begin with. So before we talk about asset management, then what is important then when we buy an asset? Now, and obviously having said that, we're not buying assets that are pristine and ready to go. There's always going to be pretty, sometimes pretty big problems with it. Uh, but what's the difference between a property that we like that has problems versus maybe a, a property that we don't like that you said no asset management can fix? Yeah. Well, I think you know one of the big things for us in the pre-buying phase is finding competent, capable, experienced property managers that say, basically, 
yes, we can fix this. And we can fix this with this amount of time for this amount of price point. And then we throw that information into a model and it, it basically says the numbers work. So uh, the important thing going into the acquisition is, you know, what are the problems and how can they be fixed? And, and you need to know that going into the purchase. So if there are surprises after you buy that you didn't account for, oh, now you're upside down. Now you're in trouble. Yeah, I think I think what what I'm hearing you say is that uh, there's going to be problems, but you want to be very clear about what the problem is, mm-hmm. so that's a very clear business plan right. for fixing it. And one of the things that I say is, is as, as syndicators, as apartment building investors, we exist to solve problems, right? And in a competitive market, we can't make money for our investors and compensate ourselves as syndicators unless there's a problem to fix. If it's a perfectly clean good-looking property, full of tenants, rents are optimized. Really, there's not enough value to create to make to, to, to give good returns to investors. So we want to find properties with problems that we can solve, but then the price point needs to reflect that problem so that we can create value and make it a better place to live for tenants and a great place for our investors to put their money into. Right, so we want to we want to buy in the right place, the right the right city, the right market, and then and then more importantly, we, we want to clearly understand what the problem is. So, for example, you know, one of our properties in in Memphis uh, had multiple problems with it. This is the three hundred twenty one unit that we bought uh, last year, and that one had both low rents as it sat, and it wasn't nice and shiny like the place next door, uh, and that added another hundred dollars per per. So, and number three, it had a huge vacancy problem, right? Now, that alone does not indicate that it's a that that's something we can fix. But if every other place around it gets certain rents and has a certain occupancy level, and this one doesn't, it's a clear indicator that hey, this is something we can fix with better management. So, key number one, obviously is to find a good property manager. But can you talk about that part? That's kind of step one of the asset management process, right? Is finding a good manager. Right. So when you're looking at a property, I mean, when we're looking at property to purchase, we want to go to local property managers and just interview them to get a sense of them. Uh, Look at how do they report? How do they communicate with their owners? Right? So we just want to understand them on that level. Then we also want to say to them, what kind of stabilize profit and loss can we expect on this property and give them a blank piece of paper. Don't lead them too much and have them come back to us with, we think if you get this much in revenues and be this full and these would be our expenses. And at the end of the day, get to this NOI. And if we have two property managers that are both relatively competent, give us relatively similar numbers, we know that we're onto something, right? And we can build that into our model. You know, when I started doing this, Michael, I thought I understood the importance of property managers but I still then underestimated how important it is. Because you literally are, this is getting figurative, you're literally turning over the keys to your most valuable asset in your sort of personal financial self-worth over to that property manager. And if they take it seriously, if they manage it well, things are going to go well. But if they're kind of you know off at the beach mentally, then the whole thing's going to fall apart. And then you have to have that good plan B property manager there. So through some tough experiences, I've learned even more how important an excellent property manager is to execute on your plan and to actually fulfill the ideas that you had at closing. Let's talk about the difference in quality of life to you, the asset manager, when you have a good property manager versus uh, where you don't. So we have a portfolio of about 1,000 units that Nighthawk Equity kind of, uh, kind of manages and owns, and we're continually looking to expand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in that portfolio, there are some properties that... 
are going better and maybe some that are going worse. Yeah. And and explain to me, you know, an example or describe a property that's that's without getting too specific, but mm-hmm. you know, that's that's really going great. Yeah. Uh, and then another one maybe that's not so going so great. Like, what is your difference of your day like between one and the other? Yeah. And what is you know what is the kind of the root cause of that? Yeah. Well, and the solution, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and for those that are listening, you know, through their phones, Michael's kind of smirking because he knows exactly what he's referring to in this story here. But we have we have some properties for which it it kind of is like what Michael said at the beginning of this conversation, where you kind of do you kind of put your feet up and just you know quote unquote count the money. It's very you have a great property manager who is executing on listing and driving in qualified tenants, filling the units, pushing rents, managing the expenses. And, you know, we have one property manager who said to us, listen, if you're spending more than 10 minutes per month, you know, preparing your financial statements, I'm not doing a good job at being your property manager. Whoa, that is music to my ears. Because that means I can sort of expand my time and do other stuff, finding other properties. On the other hand, if a property manager is not willing to get good photographs for listings, put up yard signs, answer phone calls, you know, give the on-site tech the license to go turn units, then, then when I sense all that, I have to sort of almost become the property manager, get into the weeds, be looking at the numbers, and it can almost feel like you're babysitting the property manager or suggesting to them how they should do their job. And once you've gotten to that point, you know that you have the wrong property manager. And then the challenge is to pivot out. But it's, it's incredibly stressful and time demanding. And it's not what your vision is going into an asset. Now, having said that, I think we have to set the proper expectations. I mean, the expectations we have at 1,000 units going to 10,000 is going to be slightly different than someone who just got into a 12, 20, or 25-unit deal, right? In fairness, right? Yes. Because the expectations now we have our property managers are fairly high, meaning, of course, they have to be able to lease units and, and, and manage to a budget, which is a big... But we're also expecting certain reporting and financial uh, reports that we expect from them. And I think in our collective experience, getting that uh, to, to do that on a smaller for a smaller property, sometimes it may be a stretch. Yeah. And, and, and let's separate the two. Right? I want to separate kind of where we are, where uh, someone who maybe just has done their first deal, smaller deal, they're like, oh my gosh, my property manager. And it takes me more, more than 10 minutes to do the financials. Sure. Yes. So, yes. So yes. Yep. put some of that in perspective before we keep talking about you know some of the issues that we're facing with Nighthawk and people with larger portfolios. But talk about that. You know, What should someone expect you know, for a smaller building? Yeah, I think I think reasonable things to expect from any property manager are, I would say, number one, that the, the online listings and the advertisements are competent, right? So they look good, they look fresh. And I'd also say, if you ask, hey, property manager, could you do this differently or add this photograph or change the listing to this price, that it gets done the first time you ask it. Any PM can do that, but not everyone does. And that's kind of an easy tell. The other thing I'd say is, they're interested in communicating with you. You do want to be respectful that they have a lot of other owners, but they should be willing to talk with you and answer your questions. Uh, and I've had a property manager basically say, you know, it's a, it, you ask a whole lot. And I frankly wasn't asking a whole lot. And so if, the, if, if you think that, the, that you're a burden to them, you probably are. And then maybe it needs to be a different property manager. So those are some, some easy, simple uh, things that any property manager can do. I think that's clear. And obviously, they have to hit their, I guess, their numbers to some to some degree. 
though you know some of the smaller ones are going to have trouble with reporting certain things mm-hmm. and and i suppose to some degree one can live with that and it's going to require maybe some some work after you get the financials from the property manager uh you may still have to do some light bookkeeping on those things and i think those are okay now i think it, where we are right now we are in a position where we don't want or need or should do the light follow-up after the for reporting we're expecting a certain set of financial reporting that are essentially ready to go. Yep. I think, I think with, with, with regard to reporting, you need to talk to your accountant and your bookkeeper about how detailed information needs to be. And you need to talk with your investors and see if the reporting that they're giving you is sufficient, right? Like we, we have some investors that are basically CPAs and they just nerd out on every single line item and they have really helpful questions to, to come back to us with. Other people just want to know, Am I getting into cash every quarter? And they don't want to get into the minutia. So either one of those two, you just have to know your investor base. That's true. Now, what should your frequency be in interacting with your property managers? Uh, and, and, and especially with an eye to, hey, it's not really going the way I expected for a variety of things. I'm having to chase this person for whatever. Uh, they're not turning units over. We have higher vacancy than we did when we bought, right? So there are certain things where you kind of go, huh. And how do you know when something's not going right? I think that I have realized this too late in the game. Uh, in the past. So I think that it's, it's kind of like the, the, the proverbial frog in a pot of boiling water that you kind of get so immersed in it that only once it's too late, do you realize uh, that you should have jumped out of the pot. And so what I'd say is when you find yourself suggesting things to the PMs, reminding them of things, seeing things not getting done and done, and you find yourself sort of micromanaging on a smaller and smaller level, as opposed to zooming out and zooming out and trusting them more and more and the more leash, you sort of you have an instinct based upon the relationship, which direction that's going. Are you zooming out with trust or are you zooming in and micromanaging? And if you're zooming in and it's more than a week or two, or maybe more than a month or two, I think it's time to change. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, that's the misconception about managing the manager. Like, yeah. I mean, how do you respond to managing the manager? We say it a lot, including myself. But when you hear that, what is your reaction? Yeah, I used to really believe in that concept, but when you're managing the manager, you're basically not trusting them to do their job. And you should have a property manager who you can trust to do their job. So you you still need to be watching the numbers clearly and making sure the actuals meet budget. But basically, you want to find an excellent property manager and just almost step out of the way and let them crush it is what you really want to do. And then you're just kind of watching them and making sure they're doing a good job. So I, I think that if you are, quote unquote, managing the manager, you're probably getting into micromanagement, which is the wrong posture in that relationship. So managing a manager still implies that you're doing something. And I think uh, one of the things that we do do as managers is that we're still monitoring certain key performance indicators, certain metrics. What are some of those things that as asset manager we should look at? And what is the frequency that we should uh, pay attention to those things? Yeah. So I just got off uh, a weekly call with one of our property managers this morning, and we went over four properties that they managed for us. And in 25 minutes, we covered all four properties because <laughs> they do a really good job and because they basically told us the key performance indicators that we wanted. So they start off by saying, what is our net occupancy? So they start off saying we're 97% occupied, or they would say we're net two, meaning we're fully occupied except for two units. So they give us that number. And they'd follow up with one or two sort of punch list items from last week. Like we finally found a maintenance guy who's going to do landscaping or we fixed that furnace or something like that, right? And then we go over when the call is at the end of the month, actual versus budget. So 
we were over on exterior landscaping because we had to hire a temp person because our guy left last month. So that's basically it. So it's, it's occupancy and it's a couple bullet items on just action items. And then it's actual versus budgets. And then we say, you know, if something requires more conversation, we'll dig into it. But those are the key ones. And it's pretty fast. That implies that the property manager is actually, actually has a budget and is watching it. Yes. And that's not always true. (laughs) That is not not, always true. It is not always true. And so, you know, it's, that's why it's really helpful to have had that conversation before you buy it, right? If property manager A says, here's my budget for the year, then once it's purchased, you say, hey, remember that email you sent me with this PDF or this spreadsheet of the budget? Let's try to hit it, you know, and where are we going wrong? How can we make adjustments? Uh, and hopefully now they have to deliver on their promises. So not all of them do that. Not all of them are comfortable doing that. But it's a pretty simple way to separate the, the you know, the okay from the excellent. Yeah, so a great question would be, hey, how do you manage to a budget? And a lot of these uh, software programs that these managers use actually allow for that. The question is, do they ever look at it? And the answer is, well, some do and some don't. Yeah, these software packages are very powerful, but there's a lot of functionality. And, you know, some people are only scraping the surface with it. And some people do use it more fully. How do we keep the property manager honest? Well, we keep them honest, I think, Maybe there's two answers to that question. First of all, is just making sure that the actual is delivered to the budget or that there's a plan to. But then more fundamentally, I think maybe also what you're driving at is we want to do audits on the property managers every quarter. Maybe if we build trust with them less often, but it's, hey, give me the, the full itemized list of expenses for the last three months and we're going to randomly pick five, five expenses. You know, this painting job or uh, this furnace repair, or this plumbing issue. And I want to see receipts and I want to see, you know, checks, you know, cash to the bank on those things. And if they all check out, then you can assume that if, if five out of five checked out, then the other transactions were also valid. If one is a little bit askew, then you need to kind of dig deeper. Uh, but that's one way to keep property managers honest is just to do a little audit on them. And if they're honest, they should welcome that. Uh, and if they're less than honest, then you have a problem on your hands. Yeah. Let's say you have a problem on your hands. Uh, we've had a, a property that we've had a problem on our hands and things are not going to or the way they should, uh, clearly as a function of the property manager. Now, how do you go about replacing a property manager? Yeah, it's uh, from, from the syndicator's perspective, it can feel a little bit intimidating. And from a property manager to whom I'm transitioning, as he said to me, he said, it's like putting gas in the tank of your car. You just drive up, kind of put the gas in. It's pretty simple. So his argument is that it's actually kind of simple and they're used to it. Having said that, there are good ways to do it and, and, and probably bad ways to mess it up. You know, one key is to try to transition in the middle of the month where there's less going on in the monthly calendar of a property manager because uh, then they have more bandwidth to, to sort of make the transition, put up flyers. The tenants know that money now gets directed to this new property or new property manager. Uh, so that'd be one. Number two is to know what files you need to get from the old property manager over to the new one. And each property manager have a slightly different list of that. It's going to be things like rent rolls, uh, delinquencies, keys, leases, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, whether the tenants are with the local housing authority or section eight, who the contacts are, phone numbers. So, but work with your existing, your, the property manager that you're turning to, to figure out that full list. And then you can, when it comes time to tell your existing property manager, hey, we're switching, you say, I need these eight things from you. 
and, and then the last thing I'd say is what I often see on property management contracts is we will manage your property from the day you tell us not to for 30 more days. They get like a 30 day earnout. Now the question is, do you continue to have them manage the property for you when they're, it's kind of like a lame duck Congress. Like they, they have no incentive to manage it well for you because you've already fired them. And I basically, my thinking more and more on this is if they've done a bad job managing for you when they think you, they have your business, then when they know they've lost your business, they're going to be even less motivated. And so I'd rather have the new product manager come in on day one than let the old product manager earn out for 30 days. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it does. It's a painful thing a little bit for sure. But I can, I can, I can tell from experience that you can quickly tell when you have a property manager who's, uh, who does a good job uh, and your nightmare turns into something where, you know, like you said, you spend 10 minutes on a property and it really is a function of the property manager. So we, we've talked to just now, we've talked about, I think, uh, first half of the, or maybe even a little bit more about the asset management where it's more operational, more inward focused. There's another component of asset manager, especially when there's investors involved. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain, I would say, investor relations component that we consider part of asset management on larger, larger organizations. Those are certainly distinct, though. I would say that the reporting and the reports coming out come from the asset management. But let's, let's talk about the investor relations portion of the asset management. What does that look like from a high level? What are some of the things that uh, investors are expecting or that we do as asset managers for the yeah. investors? Yeah, I mean, the idea is communication. We, we are custodians of a lot of money and we're asking people to trust their money to us and tie it up for five years. And, and, and so to win their trust on an ongoing basis, you need to tell them how it's going, uh, good and bad. And we've had to write emails that were, or invest reports where we had to deliver tough news at times. But the idea is ongoing communication. So here's what's going on in the property qualitatively and here's what's going on financially, numerically. And so we want to deliver that information to the investors on a monthly basis. And so that's our goal, right? Is, you know, by the middle of the month, we've sent out a report that basically tells investors, here's how it's going. Here's what's working well. Here's what the plans are for the next 90 days and make them feel engaged and involved and have a level of comfort that, yeah, people are actively working and uh, making sure that my money is working for me. And what kind of uh, what kind of reports uh, do we normally put out for investors? Well, our report is, is is monthly. Our distributions are quarterly, so the actual you know checks going back into the bank account happen every three months. But the reports are you know it's usually one page. It's not overly complicated, and we're all busy people. But it's a high level summary of here of what's going on. You know, we hey we've switched property managers, or we've been filling up units, uh, we've been raising rents. Or, you know, on one property, we had a really nice kind of Halloween party. So there's photographs of just the Halloween party, just to give the investors a sense of the community that's being built. Um, so there's, you know, the, this kind of qualitative story part of the report. And there's also the financials, you know, so it's, it's not detailed financials, but it's here are our revenues month over month. Here's our expenses. Here's our NOI. I think they are pretty detailed. I mean, I, I think they, I think they are. I think the mo most of the, <laughs> most of the, I mean, there's P&L's balance sheet. There's, there's a bank ledger in there. There's a cash flow report. Yes. Right? But on the, on the, on the report, just like the oh, one yeah. paper, just it's very simple. And then there's more information if you want to dive into that. You're absolutely right. Right. I mean, yes. I, I think the truth is that most investors don't even ever crack open the uh, the spreadsheet with the six tabs on it. Uh, but I think what's really important uh, to us is, is full transparency and frequent communication. Uh, and I think that's what people value about the way, way we do things. 
Yeah. So what what happens, and this is what, I mean, I've been on the receiving side of this as a passive investor. This was a while, a while back. But one of the things that irritates me more than anything else is you make a passive investment of some sort, you get a few reports and all of a sudden there's radio silence. Yeah. And typically what I've found is, and you mentioned sometimes you have to uh, put out unpleasant uh, messages, uh, but how do you handle a situation when things aren't going to plan Yeah. from yeah. an asset manager, investor relations person? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, as an asset manager, you take a lot of pride in everything going to plan. And when it doesn't, it's frustrating personally and tough from a sort of a pride perspective to deliver that news to people. But that's really, I think, how you win long-term trust. So yeah, we wrote an email recently that said, listen, you know, we've had some hiccups here along the way. And here's what the hiccups are. So I think, I think the key is being honest, being explicit, but then also having a plan, right? So, hey, investor, here's what's going on. Uh, this is not what we expected. This is the details of what's going wrong, you know, without like throwing people under the bus or, you know, naming names you don't need to. But also, here's what we're going to do about it. And here's how we think it's going to go. And then following up on that. So at a high level, that, that's it. It's, it's kind of obvious because that's what you'd want out of a friend to tell you if there's a difficulty. But we tend to almost forget that instinct as asset managers. And we need to remember to do that. Yeah, no one wants to deliver, you know, bad news. Uh, but what's even worse is silence. And when that happens, the investors start getting more and more frustrated. And yeah. that's when they start, you know, looking at the actual legal documents. That's when they start calling their attorneys. That's when they start calling the SEC, right? And all that can be avoided by increasing the communication. Now, they're not going to be happy uh, yeah. if, if their distribution is delayed by a quarter because X, Y, and Z. But what they what they hate more than anything else is being blindsided right. uh, and not knowing what's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and again, like you said, that, that plan is very important. Once we make a, a change with the property and we find a better property manager, my gosh, within four, six weeks, the occupancy increased by like 20%. And it's just amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. And what, what surprises me sometimes in, you know, as we move into markets, it's, it's both of a pro and a con because we will go because of our deal desk process where people can bring us deals. We will evaluate every every market as it, as it comes in. Now we already know where some of the better markets are, but the disadvantage of that strategy, and there's others that will only focus on Houston or only focus on Dallas. And our strategy is we're going to go wherever the deal is. The disadvantage of that is that we we have to build a team from scratch. It's yes. it's a god awful amount of work. And you 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 know you follow the process, you do the interview, you check the references, you visit the property manager's property. Everything looks good, and then they get in there, and it's like ah. They're not cutting it, and and it's and it's too bad. It's it's too ha bad that that happens. On the other hand, this is why staying on top, measuring those key indicators that you talked about earlier, and watching and making and, and if things don't perform, making a change and then seeing the effect of that. It's just it's just amazing. It's amazing. And the advantage now is you know if in a year from now we're in in a, in a dozen different markets, you know Nighthawk Equity, it was a lot of work to get there, and we had some bumps along the way. But now. You know, for example, if we're in, in Memphis or now in, in Huntsville, where we have established teams in place, man, we can move really quickly. We can take yeah. this a cookie cutter thing. We can buy a 150 unit, boom, property manager takes it over and there's no hiccups at all. Right. Uh, and I think that's really kind of where, you know, we're, we'd like to get in the next you know 12 months or so is to be in a you know, dozen different markets with existing, existing teams. Just a little, little bumpy sometimes getting, getting right. into that. And, and right. like, you, like you say, communication is, is really key. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, once once you're in a market and you like it and you you know the geography, you know what tenants will pay and you know the property managers, it's just a bolt-on acquisition to bring a new property into that market. But it's a steep learning curve to go into a new place. 
It doesn't mean we don't do it because we go where the deals are. But yeah, we if we could have you know deal A and deal B and one's in a market we know and one's in a market we don't know, we're going to be more inclined to go toward that one because it's there's less risk, right? We know that that's a good market. We know who the right people are. We know who the competent people are. So visibility into the property manager is important to varying degrees based on uh, where you are, how many port, how many units you have, and how many deals you have. Uh, clearly, if you have one deal, if you get halfway shoddy reporting, you can ask a bunch of questions and, and create the entire picture. And then maybe you're spending more time than you should, but at least you now know what actually the profit and loss is, what the balance sheet is, what the expenses were, and all that's fine. As you grow your portfolio, though, you can do less, you should do less and less of that. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we've done is really looked at and see how what kind of software we can put in place to help us with that. One of the mm -hmm. challenges that, that that we have with a portfolio across different different geographies managed by different proper managers, and and let's say they're all fantastic. Uh, some are, and, and maybe some aren't, and maybe the the, the reporting is to very different degrees of completeness, but certainly in a different format. Uh, it's, it's very unusual that every property right. manager has the same. So how do we manage that across a portfolio? So if we're a thousand, yeah. Nighthawk, we're at a thousand units, we want to get the 10,000 units. Yeah. One of the main issues we have is uniformity in our reporting, right? Yeah. So yeah. can you talk a little bit more about kind of what we're, what we're doing there to kind of address that as we, as we continue to scale? And this could be something that, you know, even if you only have your first deal and you're looking to really think about uh, what we're talking about here and help you scale this, uh, the assets. Yep. So the big picture is you need to have standardization or reporting so that you have control of your information, right? And so how do you do that without having a thousand different spreadsheets kind of open different parts of your hard drive? Uh, and, and so for us, the answer has been to purchase a software package that basically aggregates all that information and then provides it in a streamlined apples to apples uh, format so that number one, we know the information ourselves really cleanly. We can see how occupancy has changed over time from property to property, whether we're meeting budget or not. Uh, but then also there's a portal where investors can log in and see that for themselves, right? So they can, they can kind of log in and right there, top in the middle of the screen is your current IRR is blank. You know, your expected next cash distribution is blank. That's sort of like high level information helps us and helps them and builds confidence that that you know we're looking after their money well. So that's that's been our solution. We're moving into that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that we can, as an asset manager, or we can look at our key performance indicators very quickly across the portfolio by property, by even by geography, and in so doing, uh, be able to report very easily to our investors. Because as your investor number grows, that reporting is going to get very very onerous. Now. Up to this point, though, we've done to some success, and this is something that you know the, the listener or watcher can do as well. We did use uh, spreadsheets for that, yes. and Google yep. Sheets is a great way to do that. Where let's say you get you know have a I'll make it up. You have a portfolio of three properties totaling two hundred units, or whatever the case may be. You can have, and you want to get a single view into that data. You can take the property manager's report and enter the key performance indicators into a spreadsheet, yep. where you can kind of look at the property week over week, over month over month, and that's kind of what we did up to this point, and that worked great. Yep. And another good point on that, you're, you're exactly right. Those those tools do work. They get more difficult as you really scale, but they're a great entry level free tool. And the other thing that I've heard you say before, which is great is, and I'm doing this more and more, is think to yourself, what are some things that are repetitive tasks, like entering these key performance indicators? And if they're really repetitive, find a virtual assistant or someone that can sort of enter that data for you. So yet, you know, you get you get to have, you know, uh, your cake and eat it too, 
You have all this information. It's laid out in a clear format, but you're not spending gobs of hours you know, manually entering it. You're finding out someone, out someone who can help you with that process. And it, it can work great. That's a great idea. And we talked about that uh, a lot, even at our multifamily inner circle meeting, where the common theme was, you know what, you can actually have a virtual assistant at any level. Uh, even if you don't have a single deal yet, looking at what is repetitive, what is more administrative, and, and there's really three things that you should be spending your time on. Uh, number one is raising money, finding deals, and operations. When I see operations on the systems part of it and everything else you should be able to delegate. So finding a virtual assistant and you can do very affordably, you can find virtual assistants. Uh, we're working with uh, someone in Latin America, but Philippines, even US-based virtual assistants can. It's like, what are some of the things, let's just talk about, what are some of the things that the VA can do in the asset management world? Yeah. I mean, just there's a lot of things, right? But just, just really quickly, it requires a, a, a shift in your mindset to realize that I need to start thinking about what can I outsource as opposed to just kind of being a data monkey. So it, once you start thinking about that question, you find out there's a lot of things that you do that someone else could do as well if you train them well with sort of systematic, repeatable steps. But for us, uh, number one, that can involve keeping our investor information current in our in our in our CRM in our you know investor database, that is crucial to have that information organized well and up to date. And a, a VA can help you with that, whether it's just a simple Google Sheet or something more complex. Another thing that they can work on is your reporting. So I have a lot of sort of end of month reporting that I do every month, and I've been doing it months, kind of you know taking up my time, kind of mindlessly. And I had this aha moment recently that I can take a short video of this send it to my VA, say, here's what I do. You know, can you do this? And then I'm going to quality, I'm going to quality control it once it's done. But, but that sort of elevates me to focus on other tasks. And it educates my VA as well about what's going on, kind of brings that VA into the business a little bit. So it's, it's, it's really powerful. Yeah, that's great. I think, so a couple of tools for you guys. To, to, uh, you can find virtual assistants or really anyone on upwork.com. Uh, so U-P-W-O-R-K, Upwork.com. You can find anyone under the sun, including virtual assistants. And you might have to, you might have to you know, work with a few to find the one that's, that's right for you, but that's uh, certainly one. And then the video thing is cool. We use Jing, right? J-I-N-G, and also Loom, L-O-O-M. And it's a great way to communicate, uh, especially when you're providing someone with instructions. And so uh, yeah. we've been, we've been uh, the reporting is a, is a great example. That's a really, really think about what can you possibly outsource that would, to make your time more more valuable awesome yep cool stuff man i think we, we covered it yeah that's great that's awesome yeah this is great fun it's great fun to kind of uh kind of figure out how we can scale this thing and and your your needs and requirements really change over time you know we do a lot of things kind of the cheap the freeway works fine and and at some point you might have to spend some money and invest but the virtual assistant idea uh is certainly something that one can use at, at any given time and, and we and we have and things change over over time, and and the software changes, the people change as well. But there's a little bit under the under the hood on Nighthawk here, and and what it means to uh, to manage the uh, the asset. So, Drew, thanks so much for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks so much, Michael. All right, and there you have it—a behind-the-scenes look at Nighthawk's asset management over a thousand-unit portfolio. So, a couple of key lessons here. Number one is really focus on your property manager. 
everything hinges on the quality of that property manager. And sometimes you won't pick the right one and that that's okay. You know, establish up front what your key performance indicators are. What are the metrics you're going to watch from week to week and, and month to month? And if things aren't going right, have a conversation about that and you may have to make a change. So just be open to that. And I can guarantee you that once you find the right property manager, it will be like night and day. Even on that first deal I did, that 12 unit in, in Washington, D.C., the first property manager I had, not a good fit. I was constantly chasing him. The reporting was shoddy. It took a while. Couldn't answer some basic questions. I always felt like he was too busy. And then there was an, an, a fit because it was it was a subsidized housing. It was a Section 8 housing. And this particular property manager did not know about Section 8 and so therefore advised against it. A big mistake. Versus replacing that person, it was like night and day. The reporting, of course, was better, but it was a Section 8 kind of property manager, and they turned that thing around within probably three months. It's amazing. So really focus on your property manager. Get clear on your metrics and track them religiously. Use a Google Sheet in the beginning, and every single week, look at your five, six, whatever metrics you have, and have your property manager report into those. As you get more, as you get larger, look at other more sophisticated uh, software. And then make sure you communicate with your investors. This is so, so, so important, okay? You're, if you have investors, you want to communicate with them. And if things don't go as planned, and sometimes they don't, increase your level of communication. But do not stop communicating. That infuriates investors. And that's when when things become become ugly. So increase your communication with your investors. And every once in a while, call them up and see how, how it's going. Stay in touch with those guys. So the reporting is very, very, uh, very important. So I hope you find that valuable behind the scenes. And, you know, here's the thing. If you haven't done your first deal yet, uh, and that's okay, that's okay. I, I just find that there's three things you need to focus on. You know, you got to focus on steady flow, deal flow. That's number one. You need access to funds and you need a solid team in place to get to get it done. And so if you're frustrated because you haven't done your first deal, it's big, probably because you're missing one or more of those elements. And, and if that's the case, you know, we might be able to help. Uh, we have a really exciting uh, coaching program called the Investor Incubator. And it's so exciting because it's a 12-month program and we essentially guarantee that you do your first deal in the first 12 months. And, and we've had so much success with this program that we can make that guarantee. And I really want you to guys to check it out. If you think coaching is for you or we call it mentorship, go to the michaelblank.com forward slash coaching and set up a free strategy session right now and see if it's right for you. So thanks so much. Hope you found that valuable. Catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.